Hey nerds, welcome to the Binging Librarian Podcast. I'm your librarian, Christina, and the library is officially open. This episode is Black Like Me by John Howard Griffin. This is a book by white journalist John Howard Griffin recounting his journey in the deep south of the United States at a time when African Americans lived under racial segregation. So this was a quick summary that I found on Wikipedia, but when I think about it, it really does not do justice to the actual story. So John Griffin was not just this white journalist that went to the deep south. He was a white journalist who became black through heavy medication to experience what it was like as a Negro in the deep south. So that changes it a little bit from just a basic journalist to a journalist who turned himself black. This is a very heavy story. There were things that just weren't shocking at all, such as obviously the racism, segregation, and heavy, heavy hatred. That's not a surprise. However, there were some things that he mentioned that I did find a little shocking. For example, he would talk about how, you know, late at night, if he was walking down the street or something, white men would come to the side of the road to pick him up. Not necessarily a destination in mind, but pick him up and they would drive either for five minutes, depending on how conversation went, or even longer. And for whatever reason, that It really did surprise me just because in my mind, I guess I just thought of it as the hatred was very direct. They didn't mess with black people and black people didn't mess with them. But clearly that wasn't the case. And they would do that when it was dark, when people were in their homes and no one else could see. On top of that, there are layers to this. (laughs) The white men would be quite vocal and vulgar to someone who they thought perceived to be a black man in the sense of they were very open with saying they would love to get it on with a black woman. There was one who even went so far as telling him that, yeah, he hires black women, but they got like, he has to hit in order for them to even get hired or even to get considered to be hired. That's crazy to me to be that open. Then there was something else that I thought was over the top where he mentioned going to the segregated bathrooms and posted on the black restrooms would be posters, not posters, but signs where clearly it's coming from someone white that would ask for black women and young girls. I think the youngest, I could be wrong because there's so much, but I think the youngest that they were seeking was like maybe 14 or 15 the younger the better the more money like low not low-key high-key it was a pimp service during the the 50s and 60s honestly I really don't know why that surprised me but it did now as far as emotions it really was a lot of course being black I was angry I was frustrated I was irritated, but then I was also emotional, not in the sense that I was crying and boo-hooing or anything like that, but 
I mean, it's sad. It's a sad story. But I was also exhausted. And so somebody, whoever is listening to this episode might be like, well, why are you exhausted from reading something that happened in the 50s and the 60s? Let's put it this way. Today alone, we hear about police brutality against black and brown people. And we also hear about not even just police brutality, but also non-black people shooting and killing black people. This is not a debate on, you know, well, what about black on black crime and the police kill white people too. This is not that conversation. But what I'm trying to say is hearing those stories alone is exhausting. The difference between now and then is that we have cameras on our phones and we have social media. So getting the information is, I would perceive to be more efficient than it was back in those days. And that in itself is exhausting. So reading something on on this account from a white man posing as a black man and him observing the racial disparities and segregation and all the hatred to black people that is exhausting I mean the book is not that long it's 157 pages and I read that in two days that's not to brag that that's two days because a typical book like that you'd finish in a day but there was just so much going on like that's insane to me Also, what was crazy about this story is that when he would have these conversations with black people, particularly black men, because I felt that his conversations were usually with black men, it seemed. But anyways, when he would have these conversations, what they would disclose to him, it doesn't seem far-fetched on what we experience today. And that was over 50 years ago. That boggles my mind and to be specific there was a conversation that he had with a black man and they were actually it was black men and they were having the discussion as far as education they don't have the resources and it's the the white people would purposely keep them away from information and resources that they need to be successful. It is, obviously it's gonna be better today, but at the same time, like, let's be real. We know that there hasn't been that much progression. With his accounts too, the frustrating part of emotions that I had was that I knew how this story was going to end. Obviously not not fully and directly, but logistically I knew how it was going to end he was going to be able to turn back into a white man the frustrating part really about it specifically was that so he did this trial for six weeks and by the end of week three going into week four he had stopped taking his medication the major reason why he stopped taking medication was because he could not deal with the hatred and the racism from white people even though his intentions were great and the outcome of it all was good at the end of the day he was able to turn back he was able to really switch it on and off black people back then and black people today can't do that and I'm gonna also add another point to my frustration with him because he was a white man dressing up as a black man I 
felt at times he was just not a reliable character or a, a, a reliable witness, I guess. And the reason why I say that is because there would be moments, especially initially him being black, he would just read white people's expressions or even, I mean, it didn't, they didn't even have to be white, other black people as well. He would read their expressions and be totally off. There was one moment where he and a bunch of black people and white people were on this bus and this white woman comes on and the way that he would describe her was something like you could, he could tell that she was tired and he really sympathized with her, but he couldn't get up from his seat because the black people would look at him a certain way. It was something where they made eye contact and, and he was like, there was this, this moment between us. And then next thing you know, homegirl is going off on him. Pretty much is like these black people just think that they can do whatever and, and how they're acting. And pretty much she was going in on, on him and thinking that black people are entitled and just act a different way compared to back when they were quiet and they didn't have rights. Pretty much. Obviously not all of that was said like that, but that's how I read it. I took it as it's one of those moments like, I'm not trying to make this sound bad or make it more than what it is, but I don't know if this happens to other races because all I am is black, but there have been many a times where I've been in situations or parties or occasions, events, whatever, where, you know, it could be me and another black person, someone that I know or someone I don't even know at all. And it doesn't even matter. It's just somebody who says something outlandish and wild, or they do something freaking crazy where you just make eye contact and you know what they're thinking because we're thinking the same thing. Again, I don't know for other races or ethnicities or anything like that. I just know from my own personal experiences that this has happened. I make eye contact and we just, we not it's not a click but we just know what the other is thinking so to tie that all in because he was not he's not really black his judgments on people were off and therefore to me he wasn't that reliable of a character i could forgive it if it happened maybe once but it happened a lot throughout this book where it's just kind of like if this person didn't directly say something to you for you to make a judgment call, then maybe don't make a judgment call at all. That's how I thought of it as. So that's where my underlying frustration came from, really those two points. Now to wrap it up and to end on a brighter note, even though I was exhausted and overwhelmed, I did look more into this story and I found a thesis from a Janice Pope Ponder back in the 70s where she wrote her thesis on the magazine called Sepia. Now Sepia before that was called Negro Achievements and the purpose of the magazine was, I mean pretty much the title says it, was to show off black people's achievements, right? And so this was back in the 40s. And the publication eventually was turned to this man named George Leventon. And he really changed the format and the dynamic and everything. He changed it from Negro Achievements to Sepia. Now, how does this tie in 
to Black Like Me. Well, George Leventon and John Griffin were good friends. Griffin came up with the idea for Leventon to finance his trip down to the South in exchange for articles. And so in this magazine, this the accounts that's in this book supposedly are the same accounts that are in the magazine. I could not find any of the digital copies online. However, my job, my workplace, we have them somewhere. Whenever I'm there again, I plan on on being nosy and finding them in the stacks. <laughs> I mean, just because I just think that it was it was just so interesting the whole publication and like how it went from one thing to another and it really changed. And with that, because he wrote these these articles and everything for Sepia, the circulation for the magazine really skyrocketed. And I mean, even in the book, he addressed this where he was getting threats. So Southern white people were not having it, like calling him a traitor, all this stuff. But at the same time, it brought to light what was going on in this country, particularly in the very deep South. And black people, they were appreciative, I guess, that that people were getting exposed. And also on top of that, the publication, the editors and journalists were based on this thesis that I read, they were black people and it, there, it wasn't a big staff. So, I mean, even though as a reader from 2021, it's a lot and it was heavy, back then it seemed to have been a blessing in disguise, I guess, for black people. But I'll be honest, I'm glad that I finished that book. <laughs> so, I mean, now I would, I would rate it and I would say something cheesy to, you know, keep it light or whatever. But honestly, I don't feel that I have the right to rate something that happened in the 50s and the 60s. I mean, I do think that people should read it. The reason that I even picked it up is because I wanted to read what it was like then and really compare it to now, which is crazy because I've said in many episodes that this is not my, this is not the vibe. Like this is not my realm or anything like that when it comes to books. But for whatever reason, I was compelled to get it. No, not for whatever reason. That the reason I just stated, <laughs> I I was compelled enough to buy it and I'm not, like I think it was a, a great decision. So I definitely recommend this. It's a lot, but I think it's definitely worth the read. So if you have read this book, like, can we talk about it? <laughs> you can leave a comment on my Instagram at the binging librarian. Let's chat, let's discuss, let's talk about it. And with that, the library is officially closed.